This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Rabbi Moses ben Nachman, known in English as Nachmanides and by the acronym the Ramban, was one of the most creative Kabbalists, one of the deepest and most original biblical interpreters, and one of the greatest Talmudic scholars the Jewish tradition has ever produced. Join us as we talk with Moshe Halbertal about his recent book, Nachmanides, Law and Mysticism, where he provides a broad systematic account of Nachmanides' thought exploring his conception of halakha and his approach to the central concerns of medieval Jewish thought, as well as the relationship between Nachmanides' Kabbalah and mysticism and the existential religious drive that nourishes them. You're listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm Michael Morales, your host. Moshe Halbertal is the John and Golda Cohen Professor of Jewish Thought and Philosophy at Hebrew University and Gruss Professor of Law at NYU Law School. He has also written Maimonides, Life and Thought. Moshe, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us about yourself and how you came to be interested in Nachmanides. Right. Uh, I'm a, I teach uh, philosophy and Jewish thought at the Hebrew University, and I'm a professor at NYU Law School. Uh, I, uh, Nachmanides attracted me for many years because of the fascinating combination of his, his, um, his work, which is a combination uh, of uh, first of three areas of, of creativity. One is he is one of the greatest Talmudic interpreters and halachist, meaning um, one of the greatest scholars of Jewish law, uh, but also wrote, um, uh, wrote and established a school of Talmudic learning in Barcelona, in Catalonia, uh, and he is known for the depth of his analytic analysis, conceptual analysis of law, and also for his wonderful close reading and philological sensitivity of the Talmudic text. So one great achievement has to do with his legal great work. In some ways, he's the greatest uh, Talmudist of the 13th century. He was he passed away in 1270 and uh, was born in uh, 19 in 1194. So um, so he lived in some ways through the 13th century and it's greatest Talmudist of the 13th century. His second achievement is uh, he wrote a commentary on Torah on on the five books of Moses. And the commentary of Torah is uh, one of the greatest achievements of Torah commentary of the Jewish world as a whole that we know of. It's, uh, 
it's again combined with an acute sense of the text, uh, psychological depth to to the to the biblical characters, and a, and a sensitivity to the larger literary unit of the text. Um, and um, his commentary on Torah is studied and and copied and admired for good reasons. So that's the second achievement. The third achievement is that he's uh, one of the greatest Kabbalists, uh, Jewish uh, Jewish mystics, uh, uh, transmitting the 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 esoteric knowledge uh, of Kabbalah. And in some ways, being a great rabbi and a great Talmudic scholar, he's responsible in um, legitimizing this esoteric tradition as a central theme, centrally integral, authentic theme of the Jewish tradition as a whole. And uh, the Kabbalistic learning is given to us in his Torah commentary after he gives the straightforward sort of direct interpretation he makes allusions that he titles by way of truth, by way of truth, and then he gives a, a kind of a, a, an esoteric hint about the deepest Kabbalistic meaning of the text, the symbol, the symbols, the, the divine uh, the divine allusions and everything that includes in that. Now, it's a very cryptic text, very hard to decipher because after it's transmitting an esoteric tradition and we, we, among other things, we can, we can make sense of it because of commentaries written by his students of students who uh, interpret some of those Kabbalistic allusions to us. Besides that, uh, uh, he, wrote, he wrote a few sermons that we have uh, and uh, uh, that as well include Kabbalistic um, traditions in it. So we have basically three great achievements in one person. You know, any of them would be enough for one very fruitful life. He has combined the three of them. Besides all of that, uh, just talking about the person and his, his greatness, he uh, was involved in a, in a, in a great public uh, dispute or polemic uh, with a Dominican um, clergy in front of the King of Aragon, uh, published, the, published this dispute, and it was one of the masterpieces or main documents of the Jewish-Christian polemics in the Middle Ages. Uh, towards the end of his life, in uh, 1267, 12, uh, uh, 1267, he migrated from Spain, from Barcelona to the land of Israel. He uh, was in Akko, lived in Akko, and uh, complete, uh, continued to edit his commentary on Torah from knowledge that he gained in the land of Israel, including some geography. Uh, he saw that his geographic imagination of the land in Barcelona was different from the reality that he encountered, and he inserted it into his biblical commentary. So we have a very, uh, an extraordinary figure of a combination of law, interpretation, and mysticism in one 
persona. I know you've touched a bit on his thought already, but can you offer us an overview, a brief sketch of Nachmanides' life and thought? Right. So he was right. So he was born in in uh, Girona, which is a which is a small town next to Barcelona, uh, where where there was a circle of Kabbalists in that small town. By the way, you can visit that town and the Jewish quarter. The Jewish old quarter is intact, which is interesting. And uh, and then. He uh, moved to Barcelona, where he became the great rabbi of Barcelona. Um, already at a young age, he writes commentary on Talmud. Uh, another maybe important point, and here is something very unique about him. Uh, being in Barcelona, he has a full view of Jewish culture as a whole. Uh, um, you know, Jew, uh, Jewish culture is dispersed from um, North Africa, to Andalusia, which is South Spain, to Provence, to Northern France, to Germany. So you have a, a whole, a whole variety of Jewish culture produced, and uh, he has a synoptic view, rare synoptic view, of all the streams of Jewish culture of of the 12th century prior to him. Uh, being in that position, he has a way of integrating that, those worlds. For example, in the commentary of Torah, he has Rashi, that is the main figure coming from Ashkenaz, from North, Spain, North France, Ibn Ezra, who is a figure, uh, Andalusian figure, Maimonides. So, um, so he has this synoptic view, which is rare, and also in his Talmudic commentaries. Uh, he's in some ways the first European Jew in, in, the, in the large view of, of, of Jewish culture. And uh, in 1232, 1232 uh, erupts a debate about Maimonides' writings, uh, a, a huge controversy uh, about whether they are heretical or not. And... Um, it's interesting, he gets involved in that. And he's the only one who actually can talk to both camps, and he knows the, the, the cultural codes of those camps. And he manages to lower the stakes and, and bring the camps together uh, through his, his activity. So there he is, and uh, one very important thing about his life, that he's not only a great figure, he's also... Heads uh, initiates a school of great mystics and scholars and rabbis in Catalonia. His student, uh, Shlomo Ibn Adret Rashba, then becomes the, the main figure of, of, of Catalonian Jewry, but not only Catalonia, all of Spain, basically, all of the Jewish world. So uh, there is a school coming out of him. Uh, that school, um, in some ways, was destroyed in 1391 were, uh, were violent pogroms and clashes against Jews of Spain erupt, including the, the destruction of the Barcelona Jewish community, leading uh, a, a problematic century that ended with the expulsion of the Jews of Spain in 1492. So, uh, so Nachmanides is, uh, is also a founder of a great school, a great Talmudic and mystical school. Are the whereabouts of his tomb in Israel still known? Unfortunately, not. We, we, you know, we think we know where he was buried, but there is no burial space. 
the, there was we found the seal. His seal actually was found, and and uh, his latest work, which is a sermon uh, in Rosh Hashanah that he wrote, was produced in Akko. Uh, towards the end of his life. He kept on, kept on working, yeah. The subtitle of your book is Law and Mysticism. Can you tell us what is special about Nachmanides' contribution to Halakha? So, uh, a few things. One that we already mentioned is really uh, his commentary on the Talmud, Chidusha Ramban, the novella of, of Nachmanides in Talmud, which have a, a very unique power to them. There is um, that if we look at Talmudic commentary and Talmudic learning, the 12th century was a great century of a, of a burst of great Talmudic learning. Uh, 11th, 12th century figures like Rashi, Rabenu Tam, Ravad, Maimonides. These are giants, and they come after the prior Talmudic commentaries produced by figures whom we call the Geonim, that basically were active in the 9th, 10th, 11th century, and they were overshadowed and challenged by the creativity of the 12th century figures. And one interesting thing is that Nachmanides, who has the tools of the 12th century Talmudist, uses them to protect the old traditions. That's something very unique about his legal work. Uh, clearly expands, he expands with the expansion of the 12th century, but what marks him is a certain commitment to the learning of the, to the learning of the, of the past. As if he's, he's encountering a, a burst of almost, and him being, uh, and him being a center that collects all those bursts, uh, he wants to anchor a certain stable past, given that burst. So there is a kind of a, a you might say, um, um, a restorative um, thrust in his legal work. And also, uh, one very important thing is his contribution to philosophy of halacha, to philosophy of law, uh, through a, a deep debate he has with Maimonides about interpretation, authority, revelation, the greatest, uh, I would say, the greatest text written in philosophy of Jewish law by the two giants of medieval law, Jewish law, Maimonides and Nachmanides. Uh, Maimonides wrote this text called the Book of Commandments, where Nachmanides critically annotated that book. And the, and in, one, in two sections, very long sections, he challenges the foundations of Maimonides' philosophy of law. Now, the main issue there is, um, is what is interpretation and, uh, and what is authority and how do we understand controversy in law. And uh, Nachmanides is of the view, Maimonides tries to shape a core, a core of law given at Sinai, which is always stable, and controversy enters the law when rabbinic human interpretation begins to expand on the core given material at Sinai, passed on from one tradition to the other. And their, interpre the, the interpre their interpretation is not 
uh, is really an expansion of that core, but doesn't define the core, according to the Maimonidean picture. Now, Nachmanides uh, uh, views revelation as multifaceted. Uh, so for him, controversy is not uh, an outcome of later human interpretation, but it's in the very nature of revelation itself, which is multifaceted. Right? There are different ways. God gave the Torah with different meanings to start with. Now, the role of the interpreter to Maimonides is to is constitutive meaning, uh, to, from Nachmanides' perspective, constitutive meaning. He has to create a binding meaning from the multiplicity of prior revealed meanings in the text. And uh, he uses a very interesting thing that maybe some very modern, in some ways postmodern, views of interpretation. When he uses, he says, Al-Dat Chachamim, the, the Torah, uh, Torah, meaning the Torah was given according to what the sages will interpret it. Because as such, it doesn't have a prior meaning, prior obligatory meaning. What it, ha- what it has is a multiplicity of options. That, that that then the interpreter constitutes the court, the, the rabbinic authority constitutes the obligatory meaning out of that multiplicity. So um, so um, he has a very interesting, fascinating vision of the of the philosophy of law uh, confronting Maimonides, which I try to explore in the book in in great detail because it's so fundamental in terms of what is interpretation, what is truth, by the way, because according to Nachmanides, when two rabbis argue uh, about how to read Torah, it's not like one is wrong and one is right because Torah basically contains all possible readings. Uh, So, uh, so, uh, um, um, now, when the when the, then the rabbis decide the matter with with according to majority or or court, what they do is uh, is constitute out of those possibilities uh, a, a functioning unified reading of a multiple text uh, that connects to my Nachmanides' own view of Torah. As, uh, here comes his Kabbalah, his, uh, that, that Torah is, uh, is not, shouldn't be read as a verbal expression of God's revelation to people, but it's God's own self-revelation. There is almost an identity between Torah and God. He says that the primordial form of Torah is one, is, is the names of God, right? Uh, very radical idea of, of divine language. And therefore, it includes uh, an infinite possible meanings, like the infiniteness of God, which our human reading just touches or scratches the very thin layer of its multiple divine meanings. So there is a connection here between his philosophy of law and his mystical idea of the text and its relationship to God. 
Now, in relation to Nachmanides' mysticism, you note that it is possible to piece together his Kabbalistic thought by reading between the lines in his Torah commentary. Can you give us a glimpse of this mysticism? Yeah, well, it's such a, it's, these are, this is such deep, uh, deep and complex teaching. But one thing, I think one theme that comes up uh, from Nachmanides, and I think it's the core of his existential thinking, which is that, um, um, you know, for Kabbalists, uh, God is a self-emanating being. Uh, where from the infiniteness of God, my Nachmanides doesn't use the term infinite, he used the term Afisa uh, Muchletet, the, the um, absolute nothingness, if you want to in, translate it. Uh, there, there comes uh, God's revealing himself through his different dimensions called Sfirot uh, that emanate from that infinite being and uh, and clearly in that respect he follows the kabbalistic tradition of of uh, uh, of trying to understand the divine life and the relationship between the dimensions of the godhead uh, now for him and here i come to the human existence for him the initial state of the human was cleaving to God, almost like an extension of God. And the first uh, primordial sin, by the way, I think Maimonides is the first Jew who uses the term chetakadmon, uh, the primordial sin of humans, had to do with the emergence of a human will. Uh, when uh, Adam and Eve ate from, and this is read symbolically according to Kabbalistic reading, they read from the tree of, of, of the, uh, the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and they say now they, they will know Lada Tovera, they will come creatures who know good and bad. Maimonides interprets in some ways uh, with his great philological insight that the term know is also means as well to will. So for my for Nachmanides, the initial fall of the human had to do with the cutting the state of cleaving to God through the development of an individuating will. So humans are torn from the divine through that emergence of will of their own. Okay. If we want to give it an analogy, it's like an adolescence way of individuating themselves from parents by having their own will of saying yes or no, etc. Separating yourself through will. Now that, uh, for Nachmanides, that also brought death because death and dying is a function of individuation. We uh, humans as general, if you want to say, creatures never die. If we want to say, if we want to give an analogy, our, our genetic material can pass on for generations, right? It can appear million years from now. Uh, what dies in us is our individual memories and biography and life, etc., etc. But in the pre 
pre-fallen state, humanity was uh, was uh, uh, in a state of cleaving to God. Uh, where, where actually for Maimonides also the human body wasn't that embodied. It was like a, a, it was a thin, a thin body of light, as if you know, just a great body of light that was nourished from the divine affluence, not from the material things of the world. So we became both separate and diminished and finite. And the human struggle and human history is to restore that initial unity through different modes of keeping the Torah and and the mystical um, mystical um, self-discipline that will lead to that uh, coming back to the primary unity, which will be fulfilled at the messianic period. For him, the redemptive moment is humanity's coming back to its own initial. So I struggle existentially, and this, you know, this is woven through complex Kabbalistic symbolism, but our struggle existentially is the, is to restore that lost unity that uh, was uh, emerged out of the emergence of the will. And then, and that gives meaning to Torah and to the law and other things. That's, I would say, if you, if we want to talk about one aspect of his uh, mystical thought, that's, you can begin there. You can, I have a chapter in the book called uh, uh, Le- Law, Death, Sin, and Redemption, where all those things are tied together. Uh, that would be a, one way of, of at least beginning to look at his thought. So, Moshe, what's next for you in terms of research or writing? Uh, uh, thanks. I have... Uh, I've published actually a book that is um, that is mainly focused on on Talmudic material. It's called the Birth of Tao, which is uh, which is the rise of questions of uh, dealing with uncertainty in rabbinic literature. By the way, Nachmanides deals with among other things those issues in his learning. So that's um, uh, a project that I just finished, not just but few months ago, and then, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, um, continue some of the work on on the Nachmanides, Maimonides world of, of great medieval Jewish philosophy, Kabbalah, and law uh, in different aspects of that. Moshe, we appreciate hearing from you and about your insight into Nachmanides. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, and it was a pleasure. Friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.